Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Air Force's Chief Information Officer. And I should say, Lauren, uh, it's great to have you back on the program, but it's also kind of an exit interview. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time before you head out the door. All right. Thanks. And always great to do a show with you. There's so much always to talk about with the Air Force. You all have a ton going on, but I'm going to start maybe at the very beginning of your decision back a couple months now to uh, leave the Air Force as the CIO. Discuss that decision. What comes next for you and, and, and why was now the right time? Some of that is super boring in that the shelf life of a federal CIO tends to be about two or three years. And I'm actually the longest serving in quite a while at this point, if you can believe it. So kind of coming in the door, had in the back of my mind, probably two or three years was about the right amount of time uh, to get a couple things done, but then be ready to hand the baton to the next round of leaders to take it to the next step. And I think we tend to have that shelf life because, well, it used to be a general officer that was in this job and, and they would rotate, but also because, you know, you're running a lot. There are a lot of stakeholders, you know, and so you want to be able to run as fast as you can for a few years and then be able to hand the baton for another person to run really fast the next couple of years. There's, you know, there's no real slowing down in the tough business of federal CIO. And, and we've gotten a lot done. But as far as kind of more near-term things, I would say on the kind of on the selfish side or the family side, I've been at this job for a little while. I'm on the road a lot. And, you know, it's something that I don't turn off because there's always something going on. And so I miss my little girls. They are seven and nine and they are totally in a sweet spot for all the parents out there. I, you know, I think I recognize eyes wide open. This is a really special time. They still love me. I'm still the center of their world. I know, you know, all of my parent friends warned me up another few years. And so I actually have an opportunity this summer where my husband and I can both take the entire summer off and uh, we're going to travel all over Europe with these little girls. And so I am so looking forward to that. And that is kind of one opportunity driver. On this, on the mission side, though, we've done a lot of work to set up the funding, a very aggressive funding profile for fiscal year 24, starting August 1 or whenever we get through continuing resolution, and a really pretty fantastic set of plans. And I do think that once those plans kick off, we're going to need to have a CIO that can run no holds barred for the next two or three years. And I know I don't have that much in the tank. So I think this is a good time where I can go do something good for me and also hand it over to the next round of leaders who I have a lot of faith in and have them run. And and this is something actually that that Aaron Weiss and I discussed um, pretty shortly before we both announced that we would be departing for both of us. Definitely, we would have given it even more time or whatever time it took to feel comfortable leaving. And I feel very comfortable with the team that I have behind me, uh, both in the CIO shop and in the broader Department of the Air Force between our A26 on the air side, our CTIO and S6 on the space side our leadership at lead command in the 16th Air Force, our leadership in our PEO and our triple C. So we have a a pretty broad team that I think is working very well in tandem with these plans, bought into these plans, and that will go beyond me being in this job. And so I feel very comfortable that I can walk out the door at this moment and have gotten some things done, but get to root even harder for the team, you know, watching popcorn, watching the home game. First, we got to say 
congratulations on the decision. I know it's a hard one, but but second, it sounds like a wonderful summer coming up. So uh, I know it's you, there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, but just probably feels like it, it's a still far away. Your last day, have you decided on when the last day is? Yes, it will be June 2nd. And do we know anything about if there's a new CIO yet or just a acting? Is there any, any details you can share? Part of me giving uh, about three months notice was because we have a shot at having a new CIO before I leave. We might not quite get there, but we should be close. Where we are in the process now is we did advertise the position internally and externally. We got a very nice number of people applying for the job internally and externally. And so the next uh, step in the process is we have a panel of three-star equivalents. So either a tier three civilian or a three-star general. There are three people that are going through all of those packages They will interview the top candidates and they will make a recommendation to our secretary. And so the intent is to be able to do that by June 2nd. But if we are not able to get through the whole process and identify the right person by June 2nd, I might extend maybe a week, but probably I would hand the reins over to uh, Winston Beauchamp. He would be the acting CIO until until we finalize who is the permanent CIO. Hiring, as we know, in the federal government can be difficult. And, you know, you think, okay, we have the person, but now let's get their clearances and go through the whole process. So it's good to hear. Obviously, there's a plan in place and not that anyone doubted it, but it's good. Uh, And it's, it's also really impressive, I think, a testament to you that you all are getting so many candidates who are interested. They're seeing this as a huge opportunity for themselves to help the Air Force, help the DOD more broadly. Again, it's maybe hard for you to say, but does that make you feel good that it shows that you are on the right track? I mean, if you've gotten two candidates, then you may say, oh, oh my goodness, what's going on here? But if, and, you know, if you've got 20 or 40 or 100, however many, does that, what does that mean to you personally? Yeah, I I think it's great that we had a lot of people interested. I think it's even better that we have a number of people internally that are highly qualified that I know personally could get the job done. That makes me feel awesome because the bench had gotten a little bit thin a few years ago. And so I think it's awesome that we've been able to rebuild the bench over the past couple of years. And then as far as external interest, I think that's great too. I do think it would be really hard for someone to come in with no Air Force experience, no DOD experience, but for the right person, you know, then we, you know, we'd surround them by the right people and and get them going. But I think it is great that, um, that there are external candidates that are highly qualified, that are interested in serving and have looked at myself and Aaron Weiss and Raj Iyer over the next few years and said, Hey, maybe this is something that I should do. Maybe I should consider serving. And we could get some stellar candidates that absolutely are not right for this job, but because they applied for this job, maybe there are some other places where they can serve and where they can, you know, really help us shake things up. And I'll make the assumption that you have to get through the European vacation. Hopefully it will not be a national lampoon example where there'll be pig in the po winners, but just what comes next for you? Do you see yourself back in industry? Do you see yourself back in, in serving the government somehow or you'll just kind of roll some dice back when September comes around and see where it lands. So kind of a mix of all of those, you know, to be a little bit flippant. So yes, the the primary focus is planning the Europe trip. I had kind of said, hey, I'm going to wait until the fall to to really talk to people and to to figure it out. I did say that I would be very surprised if five to 10 years from now, I'm not just really miss, missing the mission and like, 
for my soul need to come back into service. I absolutely see that happening. And I've actually had quite a few conversations with people uh, that have been in, in senior level positions or are currently in senior level positions that have said, hey, let's talk re-entry strategy when, when you get a chance. And so, so that feels good too, that people that I respect that are current and former serving in, in uh, positions that would be interested in coming back to have reached out. I was going to be pretty casual and wait until the fall, but uh, definitely my phone started blowing up, which I guess it, it happens. And I am really excited about the conversations that I'm having right now. And so I will probably still wait until the fall to make a decision, but I'm really uh, enjoying just uh, exploring what I really want to do. And uh, it will definitely be in the commercial sector somewhere, um, but there are a different variety of things that I may do. There are a couple of opportunities to go back into the investment sector. There are a couple of opportunities to work for larger enterprises. And then there are a number of opportunities to serve on boards or to help in the startup community. And any of those three things would be very interesting. And depending on, um, depending on what I do, you might see you know, a couple of other things smattered in there. I do enjoy writing and teaching and doing things like that. So I, I could end up just um, you know, kind of doing a basket of things. But right now, I think it'll probably be in one of those first three. But I am just really giving myself the freedom and the time to think through it because I do want to, whatever this next thing is, I want to do it for a good number of years. And I want to balance uh, also still the time with family um, after having some quality time over the summer. I think as soon as uh, someone like yourself, the word gets out, the the news breaks, if you will, the phone begins, I'm sure. So uh, lots of good calls, lots of good conversations. And it's great, obviously, to see you're at least getting the process started. Decisions can come whenever they come, but until you open that door, you don't know when to walk through it sometimes. Lauren, I want to talk a little bit about your accomplishments as the Air Force CIO. There's so much to go over. Uh, and I'm going to start with the, the, the thing you mentioned earlier about setting up funding for 2024, a very aggressive profile. Let's start there. I mean, uh, it sounds like you're very excited about what 2024 is could look like for the Air Force, whether or not, and there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be there. Why, why are you so excited for that? I will share that uh, coming into this job, there were two kind of really big obstacles that I had to overcome beyond just really wanting to make a difference and and really digitally transform the enterprise. First was I had to completely rebuild the team. And just, you know, we had had a couple of open positions for a little while. We had a very long period with an acting CIO. There were budget cuts going on. You know, IT was still kind of the bill payer for things. It was not a ripe time to come in and just kind of, you know, light the rocket and go. Um, and so really the, the first order of business was how do I really rebuild this team? And so I'm pretty excited with the folks that are in those roles now. And um, just the team is getting better and better and even more solid at that broader uh, DAF coalition. So that's one. And the second piece was rebuilding that budget. I remember uh, telling our uh, secretary, uh, J.R. Roth at the time, oh my goodness, this IT budget is even worse than I thought. We were starting the year about $250 million in the red every single year and um, had to get pretty creative with cash flowing and largely uh, just kind of making ends meet and still kind of digging out of the hole each year, but still trying to move things forward. And so um, 
you know, so kind of a tough fiscal situation. So one of the first goals that I set was a fiscal year 24 budget that works. And it does take a couple of years to get there. 23 is way better than 22. We actually are are fairly healthy in 23. We've been able to kick off some pretty solid progress in ICAM and Zero Trust and continue to grow our cloud presence and, and just solve problems across the enterprise. So that is goodness. But in 24, that's when we really uh, have the right investments moving forward that'll help us get out of some crushing tech debt and that will help us move forward to become much more cyber secure, much more resilient uh, to get better performance and to really be able to fight the way that we should in a digital environment. And a lot of that investment kicks off in 24. If it comes through the way that it is expected to, it will be pretty sizable and the team is raring to go. Lots of planning, lots of finalizing plans, testing con ops, but folks are pretty excited about that investment. So $250 million in the red every year to just starting the year. How did that happen? I mean, I know you weren't there, but or, or maybe the better question is, how'd you get out of it? Because I, I know you and I have talked in the past about some of your big priorities and and, and those, for instance, in, included in, in the past, consolidating, better managing enterprise license for the cloud or software as a service. So that that's maybe, maybe where I'd ask you to start off is you started looking at those licenses and said, okay, can we have one or four, but not 40 or however many? Yeah, so some of the digging out was finding sources of funds because we're not talking about frivolous things. You know, we're talking about, you know, it's very expensive to run Office 365. We pay the central license cost to update our routers and switches. You can't just not update you, know, you can't just shut off your routers and switches. You can't shut off your long haul comm. We're talking about things that really have to be paid. And so a lot of it was creative finance and end of year funding. And the thing with IT is, you know, you can obligate very quickly in September. We always could take year end funds and, and largely dig ourselves out with it but it made it a lot harder to manage throughout the rest of the year. And there was a year or two there where things got really, really tight. And that, you know, I used to call it faith-based budgeting where, you know, you, you would pray and the manna would probably fall from heaven in August and September. But there are a couple of, there are a couple of years there where that manna did not come. And so, you know, then you kind of start the next year also in the hole. So really it's, you know, we got a lot of priorities. We got a lot of broken portfolios. It's really trying to just make sure that those most important things happen. And there were things that we had to stop doing. And, you know, and unfortunately that means that, that those transformation programs did not go forward as fast as we wanted them to, or have stopped, but, you know, we had to, we had to make decisions, tough decisions in places. And we did. There were places also that we could save a lot of money. We renegotiated a number of enterprise jailers where we saved very large amounts of money. This year, we renegotiated some of our Office 365 licenses, and that actually took care of kind of a lot of our underage uh, going into the year. So yes, there are places where we had to get smarter with negotiations, and then there were places where we had to cut, and there were places where we just had to find the money. Lauren, on that note, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Air Force's Chief Information Officer. Lauren, in many ways, this is an exit interview. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the outgoing Air Force Chief Information Officer. 
you mentioned, and, and I'm not sure you want to call this out, but some transformation programs were either slowed down, delayed, or some had to stop. Anything that you'd be willing to kind of offer a little bit of insight into? Or... Our ITAS risk reduction effort, um, we were not able to go to as many bases as we wanted to go to. That was one. And that program has been very successful. The bases we've been to, um, the endpoints are so lightning fast. The IT service management solution is working well, automated workflows. Our network performance is so much better. So these are things that are proven that we were not able to scale as fast as we would like to um, within the risk reduction. And then there was a project called Compute and Store as a Service that I think would have uh, helped our cloud migrations go at a much faster pace and shut down our data centers at a much faster pace. And then there was the ESOC, which was actually a really successful experiment in a modern way to do a security operations center with uh, leveraging much more AI and automation and central data feeds than we did a few years ago. Now, the good news on both of those is we are incorporating the lessons learned from the little bit that we did as we scale. We do have an effort to move toward one global knock sock and gawk, leveraging a lot of those lessons learned. And then with Compute and Store, we have been working through race to the cloud with our large cloud vendors um, to help uh, migrate applications at a much faster rate. But you know, you don't make up for for not having that investment, you know, a year or two ago. I appreciate the insights because I think uh, a lot of times folks say, well, we didn't get to do something and then trying to understand what, what the impact is. This shows that, that having that challenge of funding and having that challenge of, okay, where do I find the money to do this? It does have a kind of a downstream effect. You brought up ITES. Obviously, we're going to spend some time talking about that. But before I do that, are some of these for 2024, some of these budgeted for, are there other things that you're saying, okay, for 2024, and we can obviously find the Air Force's budget request that just came out about a month and a half ago or so, but but have you worked that in because now you feel better about the space you're in for the budget? And obviously if Congress does what you'd hope they do, you can start to get to some of these, or are there other things you, you say, okay, for 24, this would be a higher priority or just as high a priority? Absolutely. So I feel much better about 2024 because we have fully funded our cloud accounts, which means that we can migrate applications um, at a faster rate into the into the cloud. We've already done the really hard work of fixing anything that we could do with process and partnership. And uh, so that has been going really well. As far as the SOC, I, I see some really good progress there now that will jumpstart in 2024. We'll have a procurement out on that. And then ITAS Wave 1, because that is our scaling function for the endpoints, the IT store, the central IT service management, just so many of the thousand paper cuts that just get everybody every day are, are kind of holding on it to uh, ITAS Wave 1. And I'm happy to share a little bit later on kind of what what we've done despite that uh, holdup. But then later in the fiscal year, we're hoping by September, um, maybe August, we will be able to award ITES Wave 2, which is base infrastructure modernization. That'll start with our PACAF bases, and that's going to go and start at scale giving many more of our bases around the world the same performance improvements that we've seen in our risk reduction experiment. And that is, is funded a good bit. I'd say we have a solid number of bases that we can go do every year. And if we are able to prove the performance, improve the performance increases that I suspect we will improve, 
I think that we will see some follow-on funding going for that. Now that all works in tandem with the Zero Trust Roadmap. Because if you really want to be able to fight and you want to get data from anywhere and have the speed that we need for the kill chain of the future to, to really stay in lockstep ahead of a, a near peer adversary, you know, you, you have to have a solid network. You have to be able to get a signal from anywhere. We've made a lot of progress on that. You have to have next generation gateways. We can't just be looking at a couple of different places around the world to route our traffic. We have to have dynamic routing. We have to implement new gateways and SD-WAN. And that is all part of our zero trust roadmap as well. So a lot of investment there and a lot of people coming together, working those problems in a way that I have never seen in the Department of Defense. We've got the engineers working together. People are actually uh, kind of pooling their their talent to get things done, which is amazing to see. And it's it's how it should be for an enterprise like us. You open the door to ITES. Let's maybe talk a little bit about it. Yeah, we are hoping that we can kind of move forward and execute because we have a lot of warfighters waiting for this capability. And I know the team's been working really hard to kind of mitigate. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we kind of planned for protests. You know, we made this award in August. We also lost nine months to the Small Business Administration. And, you know, and that was, I'd say that was even tougher, getting, losing that much time when really our small business content was very high. I think it was somewhere between 30 and 40%. And because it wasn't accounted for the right way, we had a government agency putting on the brakes. And so um, that was not cool. And that also had a huge impact, not only on the warfighters that are counting on this capability, but on the small businesses that are waiting for the revenue. So, so that was something that was pretty rough um, within the procurement. But we can't change the past. Here we are. And I have told the team, just in case we continue to extend our execution of wave one, don't wait. And I told them back in January, don't wait. So anything that we can do to prepare the battlefield for the vendor to take it, we're doing. So things like consolidating around one laptop image, the laptop image that has really, really had great results um, in the risk reduction experiment, increasing our automated patching, scaling our IT service management solution that we already know works, that we already have enterprise agreements with the same provider uh, in works. Those are all things that we're pushing now, launching our virtual desktop capability. That's another one. Holding our vendor accountable to make sure that when we order a machine, that it comes within the time frame that we expect that machine to come and that it is imaged in a way that it can be used, that we don't have to have our comm squadrons then re-image the machine, do more inventory, and then distribute. And so these are all things that I've told the team, let's just go. They're energized. And um, you know that's one thing. If I had known that we would be waiting nine months for the SBA and how many months now? Seven, seven or eight months now for protest, I would have said go You know, back then. That unfortunately, you know, when your scaling function is held up that long, you know, it causes problems and other things got prioritized because this was around the corner. So, but one way or another, we're getting that capability. A lot of that we will get done before I leave the Department of the Air Force. Um, We've kind of got a hit list we're going through and, you know, the team is running through the tape with me and uh, we're, we're all pretty excited. Lauren, I appreciate you able to offer a little more details. I mean, I think a lot of times when there's big contracts and there's protests and 
there's uh you know again you plan for it there's there are necessary evils sometimes but um I, I like the fact that you all aren't just waiting twiddling your thumbs so to speak you actually are, are starting to make some progress so when the go button can be hit whether again it's april or, or further down the road uh that that you won't be starting at zero per se so iTest is one area the wave one you mentioned you went through a lot of the things you're working through uh, you mentioned zero trust maybe let's go there next a big push from across the DOD. We know that there is a uh, DOD has its own zero trust strategy. Each of the uh, services are have their own probably sub strategy and goals around it. Where are you today working with zero trust, and, and what's the plan look like going forward? I do want to be really clear. There's definitely never been any twiddling of thumbs um, waiting for ITES. but you know there is kind of like in the in the thousand things that are broken what what rises to the top of the list you know that ruthless prioritization is a is definitely a monster with as many problems as we want to solve but as far as zero trust you know that that actually is kind of a pretty ambitious basket of solutions you know you hit all of the different areas from uh, what we do for endpoints, what we do for networks, what we do for data, what we do for users, for automation. And so, so yes, as you articulated, there is a, a DOD uh, zero trust strategy, and we are all kind of reporting and anchoring around the same framework. We have published our zero trust roadmap as well as our ICAM roadmap on our CIO website. And we've gotten some pretty good feedback from the vendor community. So you can go and you can see all of the different lines of effort that we have working. You can see the the milestones where we're going to make decisions on things. And really, each of those roadmaps has another level of detail behind it, some which will be shared publicly, some which will be shared through RFPs as we start to, to buy things or with internal teams that are working kind of processes and con ops. And then we will continue to release more detailed roadmaps. So I believe the next two that we're going to release are the software-defined WAN roadmap, which I mentioned earlier, and then uh, the data roadmap, uh, because we definitely want everyone to know exactly where we're going, what are the timing and sequencing of those things. And that's a good exercise for us internally, because behind each of those roadmaps is thousands of steps and thousands of items that we have to track and hold people accountable on. But we did want to make sure that we don't have to be in the chili, that we monitor kind of at this level and that we know exactly who's responsible for that line item and they know all of the dependencies. And then the part that we release publicly, it's because we want the market to know where are we going to be investing a lot of money? Where should maybe you make investments in your sales team or in your capabilities team? Because we are going to need the commercial sector in just about everything that we do for that zero trust roadmap and all of those submaps. So that's really what we're trying to make sure we do is publish, be very clear, let people know what to expect and give lots of advanced uh, signaling even before we put out RFPs. Lauren, on that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Air Force's Chief Information Officer. Lauren, in many ways, this is an exit interview. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the outgoing Air Force Chief Information Officer. You mentioned the feedback, and I remember looking at the ZTA roadmap and the ICAM roadmaps, and they were dense. We'll say there was not an easy look. There's a lot going on. What are some of the feedback you've gotten? And I think that's, you know, I think if you can also talk in the terms of how your office has been asking for that type of feedback, again, whether it's zero trust related or whatever else, 
I think one of the key features you've really brought to the Air Force is not being afraid of industry, you know, wanting their feedback, being partners. Connect those dots for me, if you will. There have been a lot of forums. So starting internally, we had hundreds of people contributing to those roadmaps and and going through, you know, every every detail all the way up to kind of the things that summarized, which were pretty dense for a, a government roadmap. But at a level of detail that was helpful to industry, especially the technical members of industry to know, hey, this is this is the real meat here that we have to look at, the real capabilities that we have to communicate and, and provide. And so our CTO has very much been out at the various conferences uh, presenting the roadmap, taking feedback live. We've also taken feedback through our website. We've had any vendor that wants to reach out to us, share feedback. We did get one pretty funny piece of feedback um, where we had screwed up naming something and it made no sense. And then we had to kind of go back and be like, why did we do that? And, and, and there was a reason and it was somewhat entertaining at the time, but the vendor also you know, felt really good that they could see immediate changes because there was one thing that we had been a little bit silly with. But for the most part, folks are just saying, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you have non-person entities called out in your ICAM strategy. So there are a couple of kind of geekier things that oftentimes government organizations will miss. People were just really excited they were there and they were just very happy to be included and to know, hey, we're publishing this, but we're publishing this with the intent of you throwing darts at us. And if there's something that we need to change, we're going to do it. want to shift uh, over to, we haven't talked about the, the big projects that uh, you've also worked, uh, got a lot of progress on, Cloud One and Platform One. Maybe give me an update of, of some of that, some, some things around those two uh, initiatives that you're most proud of. So we hit kind of some of the, you know, the top line things. One of the things that I haven't talked about as much publicly is that early in my tenure, it was very important to me to develop relationships with our MAGCOM commanders and to understand what did they think of them as kind of like the really big business units. What did they as the commanders need from their cyber and IT organization? And so um, two of those commanders in particular became really key partners, um, starting with General Harigian during his time out at USAFE. And uh, worked with uh, with their A6 out there at the time, Colonel Andrew DiPolito, we all call him Batman. But really, we were looking at all of the ABMS demos, and it was pretty clear that even to do a demo for the things that we wanted to do in that theater at the time, we did not have the digital foundation that we needed. And so... I I think it was very healthy that we were going through those demos to see what was broken. And so around that time, I went over, I spent a lot of time with the team, and then we sent over teams to really get into the performance and the cybersecurity across that theater. And General Harrigan himself was very involved. We fixed a lot of issues that laid the foundation for what would later really be an enabler in the Ukraine conflict. And had we not made that investment earlier, I think it would have been a lot harder for us to pivot to the type of data and AI and uh, mission posture that we were able to deliver as quickly as we have in that theater. And so that's something that I'm very proud of. I'm also very proud of the partnership with uh, with PACAF. 
and some of the things that we've been able to try out in the Pacific Theater. Definitely a lot of investment still to come there because um, just on the infrastructure side, we have some work to do. But Starlink and uh, Starshield have been a game changer. The Integrated Warfighting Network has been a game changer out there. And we have a a pilot we should be able to launch in June. That's the current target where we'll be able to prove a resilient PACAF across the the theater where we can get any type of comm that we want to grab from anywhere. We can get data from anywhere to anywhere. We can do it securely. We can push software. We can do it with with our partners. So that fusion is very powerful and has taken a lot of really smart people working together to get to the point where we can really prove it. And then, of course, from there to where we can scale it. So really excited about those things. I'm sure you're tracking Digital U. Um, that was an, an early baby. It has grown up. You know, we have something like 30,000 daily users now. And uh, we either have already or will soon require all of our senior, our generals and our SESs, uh, sometimes colonels and 15s, to go through and do kind of a digital capstone course in Digital U. And we continue to grow course content where folks can still learn Python, they can they can go learn about cloud computing, 5G, quantum, whatever they want to learn for their mission. And we're also doing assessments. So if there is a skill that I need in the enterprise or the secretary wants in his enterprise, we can very go, we can very easily go and see who has acquired that skill and at what level have they acquired that skill. And if we want to, we can tie incentives to those things. So that is that is pretty exciting. Platform One is still doing really great work, and uh, and that's despite um, I think twenty four is the first year that it is fully funded. So that'll be a really good thing that we have very solid, stable funding for Platform One starting in twenty four. Despite not having that stable funding, you know they are the DoD's first Kubernetes based DevSecOps stack. Um, they've deployed to 43 PEOs, 10 software factories, 11 external agencies, one global bank. You know, so so they've been doing a really great job. And I do think that uh, Big Bang and Iron Bank, those two capabilities, once we have them fully funded as enterprise solutions and really invest in them, I think they're going to be game changing for the DoD. We already have a lot of people using them. I see that just continuing to grow. And then, of course, Cloud One. I think we have something like 145 applications in the cloud now, in addition to having all 750,000 of our users using the vast majority of their uh, business in the cloud today. So that has been pretty big. Pretty pretty proud of Spark Tank still. It's in its sixth year, and it's continuing to just be really fun for senior leaders to just be inspired by our airmen and to see the problems that they solve every day and to pick a few things that we really can solve. That that continues to be really exciting. Robotic process automation continues to go. And apparently we've saved over 50,000 man hours at this point, trained 1,000 people on how to do RPA. Our user experience is up uh, about 12 points since last year. So, you know, a lot of things that um, that we've kind of kicked off that are still running, still driving value. And it actually makes me pretty happy every time there's some stupid problem and an airman says, oh, I did something in Power BI to solve that problem. Can I you know, show this guy so that we can um, scale it to the enterprise? That just happened on LinkedIn the other day. So it makes me happy that not only are we solving problems for ourselves, which our airmen and guardians will always do no matter what, but they're actually using enterprise solutions more and more to solve those problems. Office 365 with our low-code, no-code, Cloud One, Platform One, 
and and more. So so that's that's pretty exciting. Lauren, on that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Air Force's Chief Information Officer. Lauren, in many ways, this is an exit interview. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the outgoing Air Force Chief Information Officer. Lauren, you went through a bunch of uh, different uh, really success stories here. I'm going to go back to the one thing that's new because there's a lot that you uh, had accomplished already. But you mentioned a potential pilot launching about the resiliency in PACAF, security, push software, ensure resiliency across the comms. Is there anything more you can just offer around that as well? Just that the all of the capabilities that I've been talking about um, are converging around that type of capability. And the PACAF team, we got some really smart guys out there solving really gnarly problems. And so they've been integral to solving the enterprise problems, but they also are kind of the, you know, the first guys to test. And so, um, so they are testing out what could become the SD-WAN solution. And they'll test out a particular solution, even though we're, we're competing that. But then, you know, if something else wins, we can, hey, pull out that solution, pop in this solution. They're leveraging enterprise capabilities that already exist to do things in new ways. And the, the integrated warfighting network, there have been some things written on that, um, you know, that folks can reference as well. But, but it is, it's pretty exciting. And one thing that, that makes me feel really good is that over the past few years, People want to be an enterprise. We've never been an enterprise before. Um, and we can't be an enterprise overnight at everything. But I think it's very healthy that people know where the enterprise is going. They know where to meet the enterprise. They're willing to help shift some of those dates to the light to the left by trying things. Um, but they know that they want to meet the enterprise um, at scale. And so I think that's been just really exciting. And that's really what this is in PACAF. You know, they're showing how all of these capabilities come together and they know that they're at the pointy end. And so a, a lot of the things that we're doing, we're going to start in PACAF. Um, whereas normally we start actually uh, CONUS because it tends to be easier. We're going to start scaling things in PACAF and BIM will be one of the first things that we do base infrastructure modernization. That's going to hit those PACAF bases first because we really want to make sure that we can speed through the hard part to getting them all the capability they need good understanding of what's going to happen. Obviously, there's still a lot to, to go on. As you said, it's a pilot, so you'll learn a lot and move from there. Lauren, the other piece that I think is really important is you mentioned user experience up 12 points over the last year or so. The user experience is something we've seen as, as well known now, very famous of the LinkedIn message, fix these damn computers. I know that, I think I know John Sherman, the DoD CIO, took that very seriously. I think all of you uh, in, in the role of CIO paid attention to that. Is, has that been a, the other piece to this is, is, as you said, you were looking at things from an enterprise. Are you getting the feeling that people understand the role of the CIO's office, that customer experience and, and how you've driven improvements? Especially over the last few years, um, I think people see the CIO office as a critical partner and we definitely have a seat at the biggest tables, which is wonderful. It's great that, you know, the MAGCOM commanders can call the CIO and say, Hey, what do you think about this thing that I'm trying to do? Or can you help me make sure that this thing that I'm going to do is going to work? Um, or tell me where I should invest in my theater so that I can meet the enterprise. That has been, uh, that's been pretty awesome in general. 
And I probably would tag back to the beginning of the conversation since this is an exit interview and you've been very generous with your time. What's the best advice that you've gotten or you'd want to give to the next Air Force CIO when that person is hired and assuming you're still around or you're still at least uh, email away or a phone call away, what advice would you give that person? I think that we've done so much work over the past few years to put the plan in place and get it resourced. Really, really, we just got to We just got to get it done. And this is something I talked to Aaron Weiss about um, at our fireside chat back in February that we know what to do. We just have to get it done and we have to get it done at scale. And we have the scaling functions in place. We got to, of course, get to execute on some of those things. But whether we get to execute on ITAS wave one or not, the wheels are in motion. We're going to go and do this stuff. And we do know what, what needs to be done. So for the computer issue, that central image is going to make a huge difference. We've proven that replacing the computer with one that's not older than the airman using it, that is typically a recipe for success. If your network equipment hasn't been replaced in 10 years or doesn't have an updated software on it, like it's not going to work that well. You know, if your switch going into your base is measured in megabytes, you're not going to get great user experience. And so these are all things that we've been chipping away at and solving and, and each thing makes things a little bit better, but you really get kind of the, you know, the huge mission impact when you can do all of them. So we've been able to make really good progress and the user experience scores reflect that, but we do have to, to kind of hit it at scale and get it done. And I do think that the way that we've structured this as a service, even though it takes us a moment to get it started it is the way that we're not going to get into this mess again, because it it requires us to invest, to keep things up to date. You know, we're, we're not purchasing a, you know, a, a router and hiding in a closet somewhere where someone has to go manually update it. We are purchasing all of the equipment. We are purchasing the software updates. We are purchasing kind of the, the pushing of those updates and the service level agreements to replace something if something breaks. And, and that is, that is programmed for. So, so I think that we're on a really great trajectory to not have all of the silly little things that have caused problems over the last decade or two to continue to cause the same problems for the next decade. I think that, I think we have irreversible momentum And if the next CIO comes in and continues to work the plan that was signed, not just by me, but by our air and space force counterparts and really, really um, taken on by our our lead command and our lead PEOs, I think that's going to be a good thing. And if the next CIO sees places where maybe we miss something, you know, that's a great place to add. But I think within the core team, we kind of look at even beyond me moving on, it's the right plan. And the community is bought in on the plan and we just need to deliver. I think the fact that you've gotten the community to build on the plan is huge. I think that really, as you mentioned, the MAGCOM uh, commanders who are very much a part of the team now, not just uh, afterthoughts is, is important. All right, Lauren, there's so much more to talk to. You've accomplished a lot in your two plus years. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, thank you very much for your service uh, to the country. Uh, my guest has been Lauren Knausenberger, the outgoing Air Force Chief Information Officer. Lauren, again, thank you. All right, thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 